Yeah, I'm in the scene right now when they're over the French Alps in those cable cars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Film Trauma Podcast. Um, we can take a different direction this time, I think, because, Rob, I think that... Um, Are we live? Yeah. Okay, all right. What's cool, I think, is that, um, Rob, you don't have the internet, and you don't have streaming services, which I think... Um, I'm in the minority. Yeah, but I, I like that. I think it's I think it's quaint, and it gives us a unique perspective on this show, I think, to sort of change directions. It had came to me last night. Was it last night? Yeah, I think so. Uh, at least you know, a couple nights ago. Two nights ago, nights ago yeah. Um, the idea being that since Rob, you're not, you're not unable to keep up with like the new episodes of stranger things and all this stuff and game of Thrones and better call Saul and breaking bad and all this stuff. I mean, you do get a chance to watch this stuff, but it's sort of like at the in-laws and when you, whenever you get a chance to be around it. Sure. Um, but, um, I just think it's fascinating that you just have this library of physical media, which I, I have as well, but I'm just consumed. I'm just, uh, immersed in, in streaming media and I'm, I don't, I don't watch everything that comes out, but I, I like, I have my favorites and stuff and I'm, I try to stay contemporary with some things, but, yeah. um, I just think it's fascinating that you just have a physical library to pull from with your, with your, with music and movies and yeah. The, that's that's the angle that we're going with and we're just we're gonna we're going to um see i requested a list of of rob's library so we could compare what we have in common and then we'll just pick uh movies that we both have we'll watch them on our own and we'll talk about them i think that's a really interesting idea or here's another option too because you have streaming Mm -hmm. if there's something on my list that you're not familiar with you have the ability to watch it on your own time and I can always watch my physical copy as well, that, well. That's what I'll do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That, that's what I'll do. I will watch whatever whatever way that I can. I and will, I'll watch. Do you want to hear my little spiel on why I think the streaming is overrated? Um. Sure. Okay. All right. <laughs> when I go to my in-laws or, or some other friends that, that have some of these services, um, I'll look through stuff because I'm interested in something. Not available. Please select premium package. Please select this, available to buy, available oh, yeah. to rent. Yeah, yeah, so I'm looking through it's all this annoying. stuff, and I says, you know what? I really don't think I should have to pay extra if I want to watch an old episode of Columbo or the Incredible Hulk television series. I, I really don't think I should have to pay extra for that. And a lot of the things that are on there, sure, you get new releases, but you also get a plethora of direct-to-video stuff, which in most cases I've never heard of, or they have one prominent recognized actor or, or actress so I have been largely underwhelmed by the content that's available on a lot of these streaming platforms. And I also don't like the lack of consistency. Once something's up there, it's not up there indefinitely. There's an ebb and flow. Some things are available yeah. on this one. Some things are available on that one. They're available for a certain amount of time. Yada, yada, yada. So I still do the old-fashioned legwork, research, find out what I'm interested in, pick and choose carefully what I want to actually own Right. And then I still go about it that way. And, uh, yeah, I would think that my movie knowledge is, is vastly uh, above the average or, or casual movie viewer. I get it. I, I think that the re- licensing uh, is a big part of that. You know, you've got Paramount Network, you've got Peacock, you've got NBC. I mean, you've got uh, HBO and Warner Brothers and Disney and all these different services, and they all they all own these properties. So that's why you have everything split up like that. It's fractured. You know, so, but I think, I think streaming, if you, you get, you know, you get Hulu or you get some account and then it has your add-ons or an Amazon that has your add-ons, 
especially with a company like Amazon, you're going to get just a ton of stuff. And right, you're not going to be able to catch everything. That's right. So like you are largely paying way more than you would be with cable. But I haven't actually had a cable subscription in probably 10, 12, 15 years. I don't even know. It's been such a long time yeah. since, since Netflix came on. I've been I've been curating my own digital archives. I haven't really had the need for cable or anything. So I don't feel like I'm missing anything, and I feel like... Um, See, I feel the same way because yeah. I acknowledge that there's a lot of stuff I'm just completely not interested in. Oh, that you, you, you you'll, know? you'll never be able to keep up. There's, you're, there's just so much choices these days i don't watch i don't watch any of it uh, you know most of it but i do keep some streaming services around for certain things that i like and yeah and i acknowledge there know, are probably some so. hidden gems in there i completely believe that i would love stranger things i everything i've heard about it everything love it I, I know it would be completely right in my wheelhouse right up my alley the yeah, subject yeah. matter the the content the timing you'll love it everything would i, I know i would definitely enjoy it so i don't mean to imply that there's not stuff on there that would keep me interested in um but i'm still able to acquire my stuff the old-fashioned way and uh i'm not lacking for for content so f- i agree with you first on the list um of your archive and my archive where they meet up and intersect and intertwine death wish three all right a movie that we've been trying to get on the show for a long time and it just never really happened for one reason or another i'm not really sure why but um now i think is a good a time as any to to get into the beauty of death witch 3 absolutely you know and so a canon film i love that opening logo yep yep we're gonna throw it on in the background here but i don't want to get too distracted with the movie like as a sort of a watch along because i really like the idea of just talking about the film you know after the fact yeah and but, um you and I have watched this countless times. Like I sent oh you God, a, yeah. I sent you a picture. I have an old VHS copy of it where yeah, the box too. is elongated and you flip open the lid and it rests in a plastic tray. It's such a cool, man, what a cool ass box that is. I bought that from a uh, video store when it was going out of business. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you know, Jimmy Page, the Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin did the soundtrack for this film. How cool is that? And it was the only soundtrack he did. But And the cool thing about that is that the soundtrack rules man and like i don't know if he's responsible for all those stingers those yeah like that digital kind of synthesized stuff i don't know if like he like you know if he was behind it like made doing that stuff but it's so effective it's so awesome and i i love this opening uh credits intro because this goes hand in hand with the original film where the city the location is huge now he's obviously you know in a bigger city. He's in New York City. Yeah, he's in New York City this time. And look at that. We go from skyscrapers to a bridge that is full of presumably people down on their luck or it's under construction, something like Yeah, it's under construction. There's a guy in a hard hat. Martin Balsam is a guy who uh, looks like Ernest Borgnine, but he's not. He's a guy who I always like. Yes. I always like confuse him. Is that Ernest Borgnine? No. And in fact I thought it was him until I until today. I looked him up and was like, wait a minute, that's not him. But um, this Alex is, Winter from uh, Bill yeah. and Ted. Yep. Yep. And um, Rico Ross. He was in. Um, no, not Rico Ross. It was the other guy. The guy from Breaking, Breaking Electric, Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo. The breakdancer guy. Um, the thing about this, this is about as normal as this movie gets. This is it. This is the. This is the where the normalcy stops in Death Wish Three. And as soon as his credits are over and he gets into town, this movie is bananas 
It is. He's coming into town to see one of his old war buddies, Charlie. And of course, when he arrives, he finds out that Charlie has been the victim of a violent crime, as is Kersey himself in the original one that led to the death of his daughter and his wife and stuff like that. So Right. And and like the, the biggest thing I think is like the, the biggest takeaway that I get from well, you know, Death Wish 1 and 2, which I've seen a lot. 2, I haven't seen as much, but I've seen it. And then 3, I've seen the most. I, I watched 4. I'm watching 4 when you came over. And then 5, I watched yesterday. So the biggest takeaway that I get from this film, these films, is do not be friends with Paul Kersey. Do not <laughs> date him. Do not be related to him. Do yes. not know him. Yes. Because by association, you're going to get murdered. He is a magnet for the worst in human behavior. <laughs> he is. He, you will get blown up. You will get murdered. You will get... Now, speaking of the worst in human behavior, here we have street hoodlums, thumbs. Look well, at. the thing is about these hoodlums... Okay, here's my problem with the, with these gangs. Well, no, I guess not my problem, but like the problem with the villains, I think, in, in Death Wish, at least in 5, what I watched was like, it. it is the most... They're guilty of the most egregious villains in these types of movies because they, at least in five, that guy with the tinted glasses, well, I don't remember his name in the film. Yeah, or, kind of like the um, the slave labor shop where they're doing yeah. all that sewing and making all that yeah. stuff. Awful. He just oh, yeah. said the worst, like, offensive, uh, racist shit, you know, and he just, he's call, he just calling this, this poor... Like black dude, just calling them the worst names, and it's like it's, it just it just seems unnecessary, and it just seems like it's bad writing to just you, you pick out that, and he's calling this like fat guy, fatty, and look how fat you are, you beached whale, and you're fat, and it's like I just feel like it's such a it's such a lazy way to write a villain, you know, by by just making him rude and offensive and obnoxious. Yeah, and I think that's what they do here as well, and I don't know. This is the you know these guys are stereotypical. Early 80s hoodlums, lots of leather, lots of chains, lots of spikes. The uh, the female lady there, you can tell she's definitely influenced by the Cindy Lauper look. Or, oh. Although this would be pre when Cindy Lauper got her big break around 84, 85. Um, this is post, yeah. Yeah. This is 86, so she was already huge, you know. But I mean, so like, I don't know. I feel when I was watching this movie... Um, now this one, I, or are you talking about this part one? one? Yeah, this one? this one here. So like... I love Death Wish 3. I saw it when I was a kid. I watched it. It was completely radical to me then. But watching it as an adult here, I not always love this movie, but as an adult now watching it, it is my job to completely eviscerate this movie and tell you all of the crazy shit and what's wrong with the film and, and, and what works and what doesn't work. But that doesn't diminish my enjoyment for it or... or um my recommendation to watch it 10 times a day because it's a f- amazing movie but so these hoodlums are are victimizing the elderly here and that's kind of the thing is i feel like this movie was written either by someone who was older or i tried to look up who the writer was I couldn't find much information on him but he wrote he also wrote arachnophobia and he wrote life force the space vampire movie okay and he, wrote, he wrote some other stuff too but it just i feel like what this movie all really is about is like the fear that the fear of the elderly in the eighties, right? Because the villain in, in this three is not it's not a monster. It's not the corrupt government. It's not no. the corrupt police. It's just wild young people, right? And for whatever reason have nothing better to do than hang around this neighborhood and terrorize a housing complex full of old people. 
Right, and this and this kind of operates on the premise that if you are residing in an economically disadvantaged area that you are forced to resort to crime. It, I kind of always got that impression because, you know, there's derelict buildings everywhere, a big pile of bricks. So, you know, these street crime punks, they're just victimizing on people. And that's, I, I don't believe that at all. I, I really right. don't. I mean, there's always a choice for human human behavior. And I'm not saying that sometimes crimes are the result of, of desperation. I, right. I absolutely believe that. But th- yeah, there's the guy that resembles Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, Martin Balsam. I yeah. always thought it was him. But yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And like, this is where the movie becomes completely absurd because they're beat. They're trying to beat a confession out of him. He comes into town to visit his friend, and just as he discovers his friend's body, the police discover him discovering his friend's body and automatically blame him. And here's the guy, the great Ed Lauder, the great Ed Lauder, who yes. claims that he was there the night they brought the vigilante in. So, essentially, this film right here, this moment, sets up the. Batman Jim Gordon relationship that Charles Bronson has with Ed Lauder's character and um Charles Bronson is essentially Batman in this film you know he's he's largely like unwounded by everything that happens he wears the body armor the Kevlar he and uh, Ed Lauder here the police chief tasks him to essentially go out and vigilante on his own and clean up the streets because yes. because the police force were apparently inept they're losing the battle. <laughs> and we're unable to do it. And I think, you know, actually, that actually idea of that does work because there's a scene later on where the police do absolutely nothing to stop the rape, the murder, the arson, the robbery, the assault that's happening literally on the steps of this building. But what they do is they come into the building and take the the gun from the nice old Jewish couple on the third floor. Yes, the ones that are, are <laughs> because you were brandishing a firearm, so yeah. we, ha- we have to take that o- away from you. Yeah. But what I've always really liked about the Death Wish movies, going back to the first one, and, and I'm sure you probably feel this way too, Yeah. Paul Kiersey's backstory is he was a conscientious objector in Korea, and right. he never understood why the uh, developer out in Arizona had this fixation with guns. He just didn't believe in that stuff. He, he wasn't on board. Mm-hmm. But then... Crime hits a little too close to home. His family's the victim of a violent crime. He tries to go through the process. He asks, you know, the police, any progress? What's going on? He comes downtown. He looks at pictures. He does the interviews. He goes along with his stepson with additional treatment, therapy, Mm -hmm. psychology, different hospital things. And none of these things work. Things don't improve. And then he decides that he's going to have to do something about it Mm -hmm. himself. So you see the complete change mm-hmm. he's he's almost reluctant at first because you remember he decides to go out and get some ice cream and he has the camera over his shoulder and he has the sock full of rolls of quarters and i mean who wouldn't try to steal an old camera right he's dangling it over his shoulder and the guy comes up to try to take it from him and he turns and whap cracks him across the head with the roll of quarters does that happen in the first film yep okay because it doesn't it happens in the third in this film too that happens in the first one this, is it this one? Well, I, I don't know. Are you mixing two up? Because in this one, he goes to get an ice cream and he buys one for a, a little kid. Oh, no. Then, that's where he he actually pulls out the wildy and shoots the guy in this one. Well, yeah, but he actually has the camera, too, in this, too. So is it a throwback to that scene in the first one? Because I don't remember. Yeah, because in the first one, after he hits the guy with the roll of quarters, he goes back to his apartment and he's still all wound up on it. Oh, he's kind of sure. swinging the sock around sure, and he's sure. kind of yeah, beside yeah. himself. Yeah, now this, here we go. And so, so Paul Kersey now has been, he's going under the alias of, of Kimball, 
That's John right. Kimball or whatever. And he's it, here's the thing. In the eighties, it was such oh here he puts his head through the bar. Bam. So what a weird what a weird little thing. What a weird little gag. But it but it, but it plays. It plays. Um so like I always, <laughs> yeah, you're down and out now, yeah. buddy. Um now we're the, gonna see our main uh, antagonist here who really dislikes that Kersey is trying, oh, you're a tough guy. I'm going to show you you're nothing. I run okay. things here. Look at and, him. And this is why those nose hairs are just driving me nuts. But like this is, and this is why he doesn't like him. This, uh, this just sets off in motion here the, the conflict between the antagonist and the protagonist in the film. And, yes. And one of the, one of the like most poorly written on screen villains in this is this guy here. He's just completely one dimensional. I don't even know what his motive is other than like sheer, just crime. Yeah. Just brutal for the sake of brutal. So in the 80s, um, I was terrified of, of jail, of going to jail. I really had no concept of the difference between like prison and jail. But like this is always what I thought jail was. It was a, it was a big room with 10 sweaty guys sleeping on the floor, one payphone dangling on the wall that you all fought over, and a broken toilet in the corner. And then you're, then somebody hauls you to your feet, and they beat you up. Yeah, they beat you up. And you got Uncle Leo from Seinfeld. Look, it looks just like Uncle Leo from Seinfeld. And, um, yeah, you know, and he just, this, this villain here, it, what's what's funny about this the villain is when he gets out he gets released and he has that meeting with the gang i'm back gang you know and he's the, the drug dealer comes over to him he's like oh, i've been dealing drugs and he kills the guy and he knifes him in the neck but like he's like did you guys miss me he how long was he in this jail for he's in a holding cell has he been in here for 48 hours 24 and, hours 48 <laughs> hours or something. And, yeah, yeah and already there's a, a new like criminal guy taking over his spot selling drugs for a day and he gets killed over it It was completely ridiculous well th- this guy's ridiculous what's his name Straker or something like that yeah yeah he but, is ridiculous and wow i know we, we said we're never going to touch on the, the fashion because everything's indicative of when it's made but that haircut the the stripe right it's down the bad, center of his a, head. It's a bad haircut. It's and, a bad haircut. But um, yeah, because you think about it. Okay, he this actor had to live like this for three months or however long the film oh, sure. shot for. And everyone had to be laughing at him. It was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. wore a hat. You can't even wear a hat because the back of your head would still show. And here's where he says, uh, "Come down to my neighborhood if you ever want a piece of me, buddy." So oh, this yeah. is kind of where he knows where he's where he's from here. And um, I do like these old interior buildings. Did you ever see a movie called The uh, The Principal with Jim Belushi and Lou Gossett Jr.? I love that movie. I so think, do I. I think it's great. And also, the they did um, a take on that, uh, like a, you know, um, the substitute with um, Tom, Tom Berenger. Tom Berenger. Yeah. So I think there's like four of those movies. There are. Yeah. He's like a Navy SEAL or something. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that was put. He's like, and I think you know what? I think largely inspired movies like that was probably Lean on Me with Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Because you see in the beginning of that, just that opening scene with how tough that school was, and some of these memorable moments in those films with like these kids who were out of control, and in in the, and I'm sure it could even have been really like that back then. I don't know, but. I know my high school in Chicago growing up in the in the 90s was certainly pretty out of control but not nothing like that but sure. out of control. But um but I just like like those old fashioned light fixtures that hang down and the the bulb is just humongous and I like yeah. the the arched doorways with the glass panels cut into the wood and Definitely. Just the old architecture kind of takes me back of 
like going inside the library and my old grade school and stuff like that. So the I just I love the old the police stuff. I think I think it plays um what we can't forget about this film. Story aside is that the movie is really acted wonderfully. The actor performances are great. The casting is great. The characters are all fine. I it's, think the practical effects are as good as you could get for... I'm going to assume this did not have a very big budget. Dude, like, the practical effects in this movie are amazing. You have... I Honestly, I think that this film was probably written... The, the idea was urban warfare, right? So, yes. So whether or not this was written as a Death Wish sequel, I don't know. But um, it maybe it was just a standard urban warfare movie, and they kind of just paste it on the Charles Bronson let's make it Death Wish 3 it certainly feels that way with how like disjointed the second and third act are, or at least the end of the third act because at the end of the, the third act you have the urban warfare scene where you know he gets once once uh, Ernest Borgnine unveils those machine guns from World War 2 it's just all bets are off right yeah and, and then you have him and the other guy um the Hispanic guy just firing wildly into the crowd, and like the 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 head and they're everywhere. They're in every corner. They're, they're in every building, every stoop. Because the yeah. main, the main bad guy just call. Who does he call? He just calls the head gang member and says, "Hey, I need more men. I need men in every corner. More in my district. Who were the fuck are you calling? Who are you on the phone with? You know, where <laughs> a warehouse emporium full of just. <laughs> <laughs> it's just preposterous. Some of the stuff is preposterous, but that doesn't even matter because suspension of disbelief is very forgiving in this film because really like the, the, the last, the third act of this film makes you f- forgive all of the, the shortcomings of the, the first two acts because the last act is glorious. There's so much violence, so many explosions, so many stuntmen, people on fire, shootings, firearms, car chases, explosions. burning buildings, cars tipping over. Oh yeah. Everything. And Stimulus I, overload. We have to remember too, like we're like we were talking about our appreciation for Moonraker and these other these older movies, is those are actual stuntmen on fire, falling out of buildings, getting shot, rolling. You know what I mean? Fighting each other. It, it's it, yeah. it, it's a feat unto itself, and and that I came into this movie and I was just like groaning at how ridiculous it was. But then you get to that third act, and I it, I was so impressed by I was so impressed by it. I love Lord of the Rings. I love The Hobbit. I like what computer generated imagery is capable of doing but there's something about just the actual hands-on practical effects i i miss it i miss it because it's in most cases you just simply don't have to do a lot of that anymore it's true and a lot of these bare bones kind of simple stories Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of gone by way of the dodo bird they don't make a lot of movies like this anymore no they don't and the sets and this or the 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 locations in this reminded me so much of like Escape from New York. Oh, you know, sure. Just the burned down, derelict city. Look, look at all these windows here in the precinct. They have uh, the metal grating on the inside of them. Love that. So clearly there's issues with these places even getting damaged or, or vandalized. Look how cool this is. I don't know if this is a set or if it's a real location, but it's just a classic police hallway Oh, oh, now he's painted area. the infamous red stripe down the center of his head, and he's got his black leather jacket on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Straker has to get back to business here. He has no. Don't tell him I'm here. Shh. Quiet. These, these guys here, like that's that's the whole problem with these like these gangs. He's coming in here. These gang meetings. You know, I think that in the '80s, 
Um, See, this would have been my fear. Like you get lost somewhere, your car breaks down, you're trying to find a payphone, and you walk into this building. Mm -hmm. Holy shit, did I just make a mistake? Oh, definitely. This is definitely what we were afraid of as kids, for sure. But in the 80s, I think that we had a, a fascination with gangs and gang violence and out of control youth and punk rock stuff and it was sort of easy just to paste that punk rock um wild teen villain on everything you know all these guys look like they're in they look like they're in docking or something with their, and look at that rick we have a stiletto a switchblade knife there that's right this guy's nose hairs is driving me crazy yeah, it does he's such a he's such a good villain though you know the writing is terrible but what a great villain this guy is he looks the part, just that face makes you want to deliver one of these, you know? He kind of has like a rat type of quality to him, like, like with, his, with his nose and he his does. eyes. and He's a pinched face. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Here's a typical, like, out-of-control hookers in the, in the police station here. Oh, I know. And now here's Charles Bronson's love interest in the film making her first appearance, which just goes to show that uh, you should never get involved with Paul Kersey. No, never. it is a dun-dun-dun death wish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, she doesn't want to reach maturity. She doesn't want to collect her AARP card or any type of Social Security <laughs> yes. benefits. Uh, so, Jill Ireland is not his wife in this one. She was in part two. She was his girlfriend. And that was one of the last films she made. In fact, uh, when this when Death Wish 4, uh, 4 came out, that was the year that Jill Ireland stopped acting because she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1987. And then she died actually in 1990, a few, several years later. Now and look at this. Right across the street from the police precinct, you have these buildings that are just covered in spray paint. See, here's the guy there. His, his the name giggler. is The Giggler. Yeah. That guy can really move. That's the guy that uh, Charles Bronson later shoots on the corner. Yeah, yeah, he has the camera. Yeah. Steals the camera. Look at this. Look at this set piece, though. I love this old parking ramp. This is an amazing location. You've got a lot of good lighting here. You've got, it's just real moody. With the brick, the concrete, the stone, the spray paint. It's all dark in the corners, right? First appearance by Counselor Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. Right right, right there? Yeah, that's, that's Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. I do like The Next Generation. Next Generation's great, man. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know, if you're a gang member back then, you really had to um, remember to put on your wrist straps and your finger leather and your... All your studded your uh, ensemble. You had to do it. Alex Winter, the great Alex Winter, who's now a director on his own. I, I just saw him in the Guar documentary that I watched. Oh, yeah, you were telling me He's about in that. that um, because yeah. he did, he has used to have that show, The Idiot Box, I think it was on MTV in the 90s. I'm not sure if you remember that, but... But no. they, I think they had Guar on there. So now Kersey is is further getting himself in trouble because he just hit one of Straker's accomplices with a lead pipe. Right, Ernest Borgnine again. So he, yeah, so he's fighting in the jail. He's on the outs with Straker. He just hit one of the guys with the pipe, and somehow I think they see that he's he's in this building. Yeah, because well, they've got guys in every corner, right? Oh sure. Look at look at look. You have so many people just milling around. It's just um, I don't know. And one thing about this too that I think. The reason why it plays to the it panders to the audience, I think it was written for, which I, I really believe it was like it wasn't written for young people. It was written then. for our fathers. It really was. It was written for fifty year old and sixty year old men because um, the main the main guy uh, he's sixty five years old. All of the people he's protecting are sixty five and up senior citizens. You've got Korean War references yes. you got world war ii references yes you've got all the stuff that obviously these themes were big in the 80s though you know oh definitely but what they did really is they made 
Charles Bronson into Rambo and Chuck Norris in this film. They completely did. I think so. They just they they didn't worry about having an imposing physical physique or relying on uh, martial arts, but they definitely used the fact that he's an excellent shot. Yeah, and and the, the most beaten he gets in this film, the hardest he takes it is in the beginning when he's in that jail cell. Like yes. he like during the whole firefight and he just takes on the entire city by himself, him and his buddy with the zip gun. Yes, the you know homemade I mean? the homemade gun. That'll get one or two. Yeah. I think he even says something like that. He says that. We'll get a couple of them, which is, I think is a funny scene because here's Charles Bronson in the, that famous Rambo scene where he's strapping on all of his gear and he has the bullet, but he's got the bullet thing and he's got the machine gun. He's got all his shit. He's and the got big Wildy. Belt, the big belt stream of, uh, oh, don't don't spoel Wildy yet because I always. Oh, well, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, everyone knows Wildy though. Death Wish 3. Oh, it, always, but, um, it always was so comical to me because don't worry. Uncle Wildy, he'll know what to yeah. do. So you think it's an actual person that's going to arrive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, 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 it's not Wildy. So we'll talk about that when it when it comes up again. Because well, what's, what's funny about that the whole sequence though at the end when he's when he's strapping on all of his gear is that he guys the guy goes yeah, very pathetically. I, I I have my zip gun, and he's like instead of Bronson going, well, here's a pistol. That's all the thing I was going to say. Here's a pistol. Here's why don't you use this? No, here's Wildy. I know here's a, we'll get a couple of them, and then the. And then later on, there's they're just in like this huge firefight. And at this point, Bronson's killed like sixty men who actually have submachine guns and Uzis and rifles and oh, grenades. Yeah. There's a guy who's scratching his teeth with a grenade. There's people everywhere with like military, you know, armament. And here's his buddy with the zip gun, and he's like, "Can't you just go and take a machine gun off a corpse? That's one of the sixty <laughs> guys. Can you help your partner out? It's you and this one guy taking on hundred and fifty men." But then the locals, too, they kind of band together. Remember, they start fighting off the hoodlums when they're breaking into their homes. They, they do. They do stuff like they, they rig like a, a chain across the street, and they knock down some of the guys on motorcycles, or they're trying to come up the window, and somebody bum rushes them and knocks them out like with a push broom or a baseball bat. And it's really cool. It shows it's, the locals fighting back, right? We, it, it does, and I, and I really like that sequence. I think it plays well um, because, well, I mean, they have all these – characters in here and they're just sort of saying you know like the, not anymore not anymore and the street the 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 citizens are just standing up to the people of the gang which i think that they, they, they do the film the writing does actually follow through on that because they establish these oppressed neighborhood people early and then at the very end they actually do say you know get the fuck out of my neighborhood don't come back and we've we've essentially won the war yes we're driving you out and um there's some actually this I think this is wallpaper this wooden wallpaper you can see the big old uh, kind of seams in the in the wallpaper there because yeah, I know a lot of this full wood paneling was very very popular and they still sell sheets of it so I work at Menards so I I, I see this oh stuff you can get the, that stuff yeah, oh yeah. that's awesome yeah they, yeah it's sheets of it it's uh, it's a composite material it's it's thin kind of like a version of uh, masonite or, or something like that see look there's a big wrinkle in it oh i never <laughs> know i never noticed that before and it's like it's like kramer says in seinfeld uh you know i got that wood wallpaper in my apartment it's like a ski lodge in there see those are those type see right there do you remember that from the elementary schools the doorways had those uh horizontal windows above them like that it's called a transom okay it's called a transom in fact i used to live in this house in this big four thousand square foot house 
that had like six bedrooms and seven bathrooms or some shit. It was ridiculous. You'd have to take a week off just to clean it. It was absurd. Yeah. It was absurd. Not to mention the cost of living there was even more absurd. Heating, cooling, good Lord. But um, in town here, it used to be the house that, that all the hockey players in town would stay at. But it was also like a hostel, you know? So like all the all the all of the rooms have a transom window atop there, which was kind of a little disconcerting to have a bedroom with a window over your over your door. Yeah, no that kidding. You, that you could you know. So so here's the introduction. Actually, the real introduction of whatever this guy's name is and his wife, uh, the lovely Deanna Troy, who like just absurdly just dies later on. Well, she's, she's brutalized, and I think she dies of, of complications from a broken arm, like blood vessels or some some type of internal yeah. thing. And I think that, like, I don't know, that that is my, my biggest beef with this is just, like, this horrible rape and stuff like that. I just don't, I don't like any of it. I don't like looking at it. I don't like watching it. I don't like, I don't like that it's a thing on film. See, and that's, I'm not going to get us off track of this here, but that's largely one of the reasons why I don't want anything to do with the cannibal genre like cannibal ferox sure. i don't want to watch any of that stuff sure because that's what it is i mean it's it's human butchery it's it's the women are violated i'm not even gonna describe I how gruesome it. it is i don't see the merit the, the merit in it, right? i don't see the entertainment yeah. value to it i really really don't and i don't i don't know what they're going for i know there was the video nasties list mm-hmm. and i don't know that it'd be you know, where's your fan base? Aspiring serial killers? I just don't get it. I'm sorry. Well, I, I think, don't get it. I think that the, what it was was they they were the trailblazers, right? They were the first ones. So, like, that's why there was such an uproar because it was the first one that ever did this. And you're like, what just happened? It's human so, butchery. So, no, I agree with you completely. Like, it's not really, you know, but, like, for me, I think I've said this before, I like the special effects side of it. And I acknowledge that. And I, you, I do. And you don't. And, but you... The year suspension of disbelief is a little bit tougher in that one, but you know it's the same thing. Like I don't like seeing a lot of, you know, rape and stuff on on film. But but anyway, here's the scene where like he goes, he's like, "Ooh, that smells good. Can I uh, get some of your cabbage?" And there they extend this wonderful hospitality to him. Yet he doesn't do the same for his partner when they're about to go in a firefight later. Hey, you you never share a foxhole with a man braver than you. I guess. <laughs> You know, that's, that's kind of the, role. now we just kind of missed the fact here. Yeah. He, we show a close up of Kiersey's hands. He's, he's okay. counting out some hundred dollar bills. He bought a used car. So he's setting, yes, yes. he's setting the bait. He's setting a trap for these local hoodlums. And this has always been one of my favorite scenes in here. I remember a childhood friend of mine, Adam, we used to watch this a lot and mm-hmm. we'd rewind and laugh. We just loved it. Oh, this you part know. with the teeth? No, 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 no. When, when he, right now, psh, you hear like the breaking of the glass, yeah, yeah. the breaking into the car. Yeah. He goes out there and. Oh, he's like, yeah, yeah. So, because so, it's mine. It's, it's my, it's my <laughs> car. It's my car. And they he's say like, something and he pulls out the pistol and possibly fast and just instantly blows them away. And we just, I don't know. We just loved the way it was filmed, the way, how quickly they got shot. Just the abruptness of it. It's just like snapping your yeah. fingers. Just bam, bam. What's really, yeah, this is a really funny scene because um, he dispatches these guys pretty quickly and he just goes back 
into his cabbage and rice dinner with the what's the problem with Ernest Borgnine and the nice old couple and they say something like what's it to you sucker or beat it <laughs> yeah. sucker it's, like, it's my car well I think you really can't be in a gang in the 80s unless you have multiple bandanas oh now you're gonna die there it is oh bam bam nope guy's, you two die each guy has a bandana around their leg and the one guy has the, the like the karate kid bandana around his head and the other guy but you know it actually looks super cool it does I think it's a lost fashion sense that really is it's making its comeback and i think that you really couldn't distinguish the teen fashion of the 80s with the teen fashion now i mean look at all these kids you could definitely go to the mall at any point and see anyone dressed like this and it would just be hot topic still sells belts like a lot of those guys are wearing a normal tuesday now let's just say that costumes are amazing in this film look at the way these guys look they all look great they do they do and they did a wonderful job with selling the fact that this is a uh what am i looking for like look at there's stacks of tires everywhere there's old burnt out Der- car yeah, shells it's a derelict it's, it's derelict it's, uh, it's yeah. I, yeah you know i'm gonna look on simply scripts and i'm gonna see if i can find a a copy of this screenplay because i'd love to read it because one of the things i read is it's, it's always you know when you're doing stuff like that there's always people in the background there's stuff in the background there's stuff in the foreground or there's people coming there's people going I just like to see some of the wording with how these locations and stuff like that were presented in the screenplay. I just, yeah. I'm interested about that. I think that the people coming and people going, you're not going to get any of that in the script. Like all this is not scripted. You might, you in the script, you would see like... The guy up against the street post there. Is, well, no, no. You would just see like, okay, the couple come walking out and they're harassed by... If this is on page, this I mean, they could have made some of this stuff as they're going. Sure. But like it, it, you could have a scene where they just it's written where they come out and then you know then you all this but you're not going to get all this detail scripted it's all about the production design and the set designers and all this stuff and really just improv and having what you're working with because that kid probably wasn't even in the script no you know he could have just been he could have been the son or the nephew of someone one of the guys there and he's like oh that kid's cute let's put him on the you know let's get him in there get a couple shots of him because it doesn't do anything you know they could have had it they could have had a cool thing with him where they like they introduce him then and then later on like you know kiersey drops his gun and then he's like oh here and he helps him out in a pinch or something that would have been a good payoff for his character sure but no i just i'm just interested to see how they how they would write it on on page because you they try to discourage you from saying stuff like a typical street or a burnt building you know they try to they want you to give a little more than that but obviously not go into great uh you're not writing a novel here. What's funny about this is like this fucking. I'm gonna kill a little old lady just for you. The villain, right? Yeah, the villain calls him like wherever he's at. He's like, hey, he's he's always on the phone fucking with people. He's like, hey, I'm a bad dude and I'm gonna fuck you up. And then they're like, oh my god. So I, and Kiersey is anything but intimidated. He's just he's he's like, like oh yeah, sure you will, pal. He it's so absurd and obnoxious. But again, you know. None of that matters. None, none of this stuff matters because later on in the third act, it all pays off because everything gets blown up. And that's exactly how this film should end. See, I love it. His place has just been broken into. There's some dirty converse footprints on the floor. And I just love the fact that he makes booby traps for these guys. He just pounded a bunch of nails through a door panel and he sets it outside the window. Well, what's, what's great about this too is one thing in the 80s that we all loved were the the um 
um, traps, booby traps, gadgets, James Bond stuff, MacGyver stuff, homemade weapons. All that stuff was huge. Coming from like Goonies, coming from like Terminator and that scene where like Kyle Reese. Oh, yeah, they're making the the bombs in the kitchenette. Yeah, making the bombs there and like, you know, in the MacGyver stuff and just like. Um, whatever, maybe even maybe even a little bit of Ghostbusters. They built all that shit themselves. You know what I mean? There's that idea of that where just these constructed terror devices that these <laughs> people are making. And and what's cool about the little gadgets and weapons and stuff that in this movie is it's consistent kind of all the way through because you set it up right there with the, with the nails. And then even at the very end of the film, there's a scene where the guy's trying to get into the building and he opens the thing and there's a knife and a board and it just right in the middle of that oh, guy's yeah. forehead yeah yeah because um he sets it up where they do it earlier in the film but they don't have the knife so it just basically comes up and knocks the guy's teeth out <laughs> yeah because they're like what is that their teeth their teeth yeah. yeah so he's he couldn't be happier like this will work watch he's so happy and he even shows something because he runs the cord up like and puts a nail in there and he uses like a broom handle or something to show that if it comes up and catches it it'll rube goldberg is what i was thinking of that's not yeah. what this is but yeah this is so cool See, oh yeah you see the bloody footprint you see a chunk of sock or shoot and oh yeah there's the guy there's the guy shit man i'm hurt <laughs> <laughs> i remember that one these people have nothing better to do just the idea like the like the idea that the public had about gangs back then was just like like 50 30 year olds in a room you know dressed like slayer um and smoking cigarettes and not making any money because there can't be enough crime or money or drugs or anything to go around for these people. And, like, there's no power in any of it. There's no there's no lights on. So no, TV. No. Aren't they bored? Well, you would think so. <laughs> God, you, you, wouldn't you, you know, if I was there, I'd at least get, like, a craps game going in the corner or something. Something. Yeah. Someone have a deck of cards and play, yeah. po- play some poker. I'll tell you, though, this movie, it's just a crying shame that there has not been a four-disc special edition Blu-ray release of this film because of any of these great action movies in the 80s deserves one it's fucking death wish 3 i'll tell you what look at those concrete stairs going up there i love those stairs i like i almost wonder like i don't know where this was shot but if it was in a part of town that it was like like they're getting ready to tear it all down like like in um escape from new york there was a fire where was it in um where was that shot atlanta it was um i have to admit ohio I'm- it was a shot somewhere my Cle- film Cleveland. IQ was okay, something like that. Where there was a, where there was a big fire there, and they were going to tear the whole thing down. So they allowed them to film in the because it looked like a great post-apocalyptic backdrop. Perfect. So they were able to do all that, but they had generators and shit. So, like, I'm wondering if that's what happened here. If there was because at the end of the film, they have like like spray painted crack houses on fire being torn down. Everywhere you see in here, there's rubble. There's these crumbling concrete walls that are covered in spray paint everywhere. There's just so many people running around here, too. Like Piles of trash in the corners. All these people, do they have jobs? Like how many people? <laughs> I don't know. Nobody's at work. The unemployment rate is high in this community. Must be a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what it is, Rick, yeah. You know, what's kind of a shame, too, after I saw... Well, look straight back there. I, sorry, my, my mind is was random. Yeah. Did you see that... Um, that staircase there those metal staircases on the outside no look good was it cool well yeah they all go up at an angle there's a landing then they go the other angle another landing another landing so it's like a fire escape okay yeah um what i think what i really thought was kind of a shame was that bronson 
in his day, well, in the last half of his career, because he died, well, I guess maybe 10 years after this, um, he wasn't in more, I think, dramatic television roles. He would have been great on a series as like a... The like, old uncle or something. Uh, yeah, just something. Kind of like a Hal Holbrook kind of a character. You yeah. know what I mean? Just like a wise old guy. Here's where they come harass the old people for having a pistol, even though there's like rape and muggings and everything happening right in front of the fucking police station. They don't care about that. But if the old couple from, you know, the Holocaust survivors of World War II, God knows they don't need the... <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, I know. I do like the fact that they at least have the New York police patch, correct? Uh, oh, yeah. That was one thing we talked about in our old show was, you know, you giving insights into their uniforms and stuff. Yeah, because um, I was a cop for a few years, and my aunt and uncle, they lived in New York at one time, and they made friends with a lady named uh, Georgette or Gigi. Mm-hmm. She's an, you know, an Italian woman mm-hmm. and um, tough-as-nails lady, great lady. She worked, like, the street crime units and the courts, all this stuff, and she sent me a New York... Uh, patch and, and coffee mug and I remember talking with her when I was going through the recruit academy and stuff like that and she's like you know I'm old I'm you know I, I can't be fighting with with guys like you but on the street you know you, you got to get people's hands behind their back you got to do what you do and she goes you know get on your face and put your hands under your, your stomach and don't don't pull them out and I said all right she took a kitchen spoon she rolled it on like a wooden cooking spoon she rolled it under my shin and just dug in and pressed into my oh, shin and God. it forced my hands to just Ooh. fly out yeah yeah and and she goes yeah there's a big nerve cluster there she goes i'm too old to fight with people like you but i still got to get the job done and she goes so i i keep like a little solid piece of metal like six inches long and if i go on scene and there's these guys fighting with somebody i just stick it under their shin dig it in ouch, there ouch, ouch. and they they do what they got to do here's a really good uh if you ever want to have good here's the yeah here it is defense wham pow there's the there's the board to the face and they're just giggling. They I, what's funny about this? They 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 think it's so funny that oh they're just gonna cause a horrible physical injury to these people. But but, but they're yeah. only gonna cause it to somebody who's breaking in. That's true. That's right. This actor here, this guy with the dreadlocks, he's such a obnoxious character. But I think that's that's great. You know, I think he, that's the point. He looks he looks awesome. He's dressed like he's like so built and buff and yoked, you know and he like so athletic do you see the way he just like he takes these punches and he sells them real hard because he th- flings his body and then he's like doing you know he, he jumps out the window he like feet he, he plants his hands and jumps feet first backwards out this window and he's like screaming in the old people's faces and just what like an imposing good villain that guy is he reminds me of like a young carl weathers he's in very in mm, shape he's very yoked oh there's the teeth on the board what a bad effect. It almost looks like a like a like something out of a Hammer film. Yeah, you know? It does. It really does. Or it like, does. And I love Hammer films. Some of those old amicus. Uh, so I'm sure at one point yeah. we'll, we'll watch a Hammer film entry. Oh, whatever's on your list, we're going to watch a lot of this stuff. Look at those brick buildings. Man. They really did an awesome job. I think you can really see the area and town they stuck to. There's really only one corner that they're on. I think this was probably filmed like in a, let's say, two or three, maybe even four square blocks. It looks like a lot of this stuff is abandoned. You can really see where everything is abandoned. They're all going to tear it down. There's a lot of empty lots, and they're probably just going to bulldoze the whole thing, a lot of open, a lot of vacant fields and empty shops like this. Oh, it's perfect. It's perfect for this movie. And, of course, now the realization comes on them. We're never going to catch up with this guy, but I know something that will catch up with them, something that shoots at, say, oh, 
1,500, 2,000 feet per second, and here comes Wildy. Wide World Air Express. Yeah, this is where... He, and not only that, <laughs> but it, later on in the film, this sets up the thing later on because he fucking gets a goddamn bazooka mailed to him yeah. and, and missiles. Yeah. Missiles and bazookas. Apparently that was okay. <laughs> now look at this. Now, now, the Wildy the, from Brookfield, Connecticut. I actually at one point wanted to buy one of those in probably about 2002, three something like that, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not a very user-friendly gun in the sense that you have to load all your own cartridges so you can't just go to a sporting store and do this stuff and there's a dial and that adjusts the gas pressure so you'd have to have that adjusted correctly depending upon which type of caliber load you have for this gun so not very user friendly you definitely have to create your own stuff but what a visual set piece it's kind of like the answer to dirty harry and his 44 magnum except this surpasses the 44 magnum because it's taking a large caliber hunting bullet and scaling it down for a pistol cartridge yeah and they do and they do i think that's and here's here's the it's, brutalization it's not scene a, not, i'm not even gonna even anyone yeah it's just it's it's, it's an I don't, I don't even like i don't like it I, I feel like it's there's only one film there's one film i saw that had a horrible assault scene it was a film called irreversible a film that actually i enjoyed really very much but and i own it i bought it on dvd when it came out and um I'll never watch it again. I watched it once. I'll never watch it again. You know, because it has a horrible, brutal scene like that. And I get it. It's, it's integral to the plot. It's fine. But I feel like a lot of this stuff can largely just be cut out of these movies. It doesn't lend anything. In any case, Wildy, um, I think they were, they had special thanks at the end of the credits. They said thanks to the Wildy Firearm Company. Yeah, out of, out of Connecticut. Something like that, yeah. The only thing it does is it sets the scene for a motive for revenge. That's the only thing it does. They, they could have just killed her. They could have hit her with her car. They could have, they could have robbed her. They, there's lots of stuff they could have done aside from this. I know. This is, you know what I, I know. Mean? Yeah. I, I, I know with you. I know what you're saying. I agree with you. And I think a lot of these, a lot of these scenes in movies now have disappeared. Oh, they're you know, gone. You don't see a lot of, and I'm, I'm thankful for. It's one of those things I don't. Well, do you remember? Do you remember the remake of, of Last House on the Left? Horrible. Oh my God! Horrible, gruesome uh, assault yeah. scene in there. Horrible. And then it's stuff like uh, Straw Dogs, and I'm not even going to talk about I Spit on Your Grave. There's no. It's yeah. A, it's toilet paper on on film. Just, yeah. It doesn't serve any purpose yeah. to me. Nail gun massacre. A lot of movies like that have just these horrible scenes, and I don't know. Like there's better there's better motives for revenge that you can find. You know. So I just think it's a little, but again, I think the only reason they put this in is because it's a throwback to the first film, you know, because it happens in the first movie. Yes. It happens in the second one. It happens in the second one. It happens in the third one. Although I will say one thing, at least that scene was brief. It did not go on for a long time. The first one was hard to watch. I know, but this, that scene there was incredibly brief and I think that's fine. Mm. I think that's fine. You know, it's 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 it was nothing prolonged. I just think like like this is not a, a drama. No, you know what I mean. It, it's supposed to be just an enjoyable action film. Yeah, so like, I think have her be the victim of a drive-by or something. That's more effective. I mean, think about it. Like they fucking blew up his <laughs> the girl that he was talking to. They they weren't even like they were. They had one date and she got blown up. Blow her up. 
You yeah, know what they, I mean? They do, do something, something with like her that. car, right? Like it, it gains momentum and she crashes into something. They do something horrible. Like they punch her in the mouth and they send her off down the road and they blow her car up. Yeah. Here's uh, what you're talking about there. Yes. there he's, he's, he's making his own rounds. Look how many rounds he has, too, there. Although that's, 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 a, that's not, yeah, that's not enough, though. I mean, that's, that's yeah. probably. 20 30 of them there but yeah you have to weigh your powder to get mm-hmm. the right amount in there and then mm-hmm. you have to add your projectile and then you press them in there um and see here's the thing too you are not gonna replicate the process at home that big places like federal winchester remington what is you're just thing? not what's the thing he's turning that that is the gas pressure and oh, okay. you had to adjust that depending upon the size of the bullet like there's it's normally a 475 round but they had 45 caliber 44 41 Mm. so there's different types of hand loading options and you'd have to Mm -hmm. adjust that accordingly Mm -hmm. and that's just what i'm saying is that gives the chance for operator error like exploding cartridges and things just just like just the wrong type of pressure you who knows maybe it wouldn't extract maybe a jam see you got a problem now you got a big problem Mm. so no i don't want to have to monkey around to do with any of that so okay so, yeah, here's this kid. Now, here's the scene where they gives him the ice cream. I think unintentionally I was combining a little bit of the first one with this one because he does not use the roll of quarters in here, but I, I think I put him swinging the camera in the original, and it's clearly in this one. Yeah, because I think in the first one, he, there's this very similar scene, though, where he does get the roll of quarters, but he just goes into the shop, and then he walks out, and then he just like gets followed. But Oh, yeah, and he hits the guy right in the face. And here, Yeah. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me and my camera. Who doesn't want the camera? Come take the camera so I can shoot you. Right, he, right? Yeah, right. And he's la- he laughs. And he's like, oh, this is such an easy target. But Yeah, Mr. Giggler, you're not going to laugh when you have a hole in your chest the size of a can of pop. But this actor looks great. I mean, he's such an awesome looking See, I love dude. that shot there, like showing the yeah. gun sights and everything. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like this film. It delivers. It, it delivers everything it promises it yes. really does and it is a nicely shot film like i said it looks great it's lit well very, dr- very dramatic lighting here you see the first inclination that the people who live there are going to be receptive to these punks oh, taken out by force they are just calling for blood in the street public execution they're they're yeah. in favor for it. They don't. I mean, they don't care if you sold drugs. They don't want you rehabilitated. If you sell drugs, if you steal a purse, that's a death sentence. That's I right. Mean, it's like we're in fucking what, like Riyadh or something. You know, I don't even know. They're gonna. These guys are so distraught they can hardly smoke their cigarettes and joints. Got to get my paint on right before I come to work today. That's right. War paint. Weird idea. I think he even says something too, like, "Oh, they killed the giggler. That wasn't too smart." Not too smart at all. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm going to call my friends and we're going to get a bigger bag of shit in here. We're, we're really going to give them a problem. You know, I think it's really hilarious as Ed Lauder comes in later to save the day. I owe you one dude. And uh, he's uh, he's fighting crime in that suit. And in, in, in the loafers. Like, oh, sure. He's not wearing tennis shoes. He doesn't strap on his ch- no, his Nikes. No, no, no he's, he's, a, he's a detective. <laughs> he's shooting. He's running in them loafers, dude. And I love this, too. He said something like, they had said it came from over there. And he's like, well, it's better shot than anybody in this department. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's like your line in your, in your screenplay about people smashing their face. It's the same kind of like <laughs> shitty <laughs> yes. asshole comment. Yes. But based on personal experience. Right, right. Yes. And that that was from uh, my Lieutenant Al, who I believe is now captain, possibly even chief. I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't ran into him in a little while. 
but he was he was a a great guy a guy that led by example but when it was time to take care of business you had one chance and one chance only to do right by him because if you dicked around or screwed the pooch or weren't going with the program Mm -hmm. that's it Mm -hmm. we're not going to spend all day figuring this out you had your chance you're done you're out of here so once he made that decision it was absolute and it was finite Mm -hmm. you know and that was one of his lines i was taking a drunk out of a building and I had a hold of him. He's like, make sure you have a good hold on his arm. I don't want him to fall and smash his face. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, Charles Bronson, what like, what a cool, classy guy he he was, you know? And I think you, you still, you do see that still with a lot of these dudes. Like a George Clooney, you know, kind of kind of guy like that. Even yeah. Brad Pitt's a little bit more loose cannon, but George Clooney really kind of encapsulates that, like, Bronson-esque thing he's got he's kind of a refined gentleman suave suave guy you know and yeah. i think that what i really like about the bronson films all of them is there is a little bit of that romance in there and bronson just sells it so well he's such a great actor he's got a great face a lot of character and i you, you get the sense that he really he wanted to inject a little bit of that that um humanism in, into the film i wouldn't be surprised if in his off time and in his private life he probably did enjoy some soft music and a nice oh, he, glass of brandy i just it doesn't look like he's having to act to sell that i bet that no, was one of his creature comforts a hundred percent and you know i'll tell you exactly why because when you the one thing i learned about him after we were going to watch chato's land was that um he was such a pleasure to be around on set from what i understand just a guy who would get in there with the crew and they would they would have a like a set like finite time like they would work you know eight o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night they would never work you know any longer than that uh and michael this is a michael winter film michael winter did chato's land too so so like they had a very strict time so they can go home and be with their families and want to overwork anybody and, and it, it was able they were able to get that film shoot done in a very 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 short time but a very concise in a very concise way you know and i feel like charles bronson was a very no-nonsense guy you're gonna i'm gonna come in gonna do my job i'm gonna deliver and you're gonna get what you paid for and i'm gonna be charles fucking bronson on screen yeah i love it i mean um oh man what am i trying to think uh, the original house of wax he was vincent price's henchman mm, in, cool. that, in that movie cool yeah one of the guys that assists with like the uh the the guillotine machine oh cool and stuff like that oh yeah so i mean he's a guy that had a film career dating back to 1953 he lied about his age so mm-hmm. he could serve his country in, in world war ii Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. I don't think they make guys like that anymore. Well, you know, they're, they're cut from a different cloth. They really are. It's a it's a bygone era. They call them the greatest generation. They call them, yeah, you know that. But but um, yeah, a lot of these actors, a lot of these guys were just straight up tough guys who became actors. Look, all that charisma and machismo it takes to be that tough. That um, has to be part of who you are because you can't. Hundred percent. It's hard to act and try to be something you're not when you're when you're typecast. Because Bronson was largely typecast. He played he was. kind of the same same character in in most of his films, and I that's fine. I mean, if you do something and you do something well, and that uh, lends you to having a nice productive career, I, I think that's great. Not everyone has the depth of someone like. Uh, daniel day lewis or, or you know brad pitt i think brad pitt's an excellent actor but he well. could have been though like he had, maybe i think he had that i think that he man like i could definitely see him in some slick 90s thrillers if you know if he would have lived a little bit longer if he was from a you know 
if I could if I could have my dream cast of anything, I would definitely put him in a a Tarantino film, or like um. I think Tarantino would have liked to have had him in oh a my, film. Absolutely, I he's, really really do. He's such a badass, you know. He's such a badass. Definitely, uh, <laughs> you, you know, Robert Bronzy has some big shoes to fill. Yeah, but man, oh man, he looks so much like him. He does, man. He really does. And Robert Bronzy. Now, he, this this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, too, because, you know, he loses the Wildy temporarily in the alley, and he's you think he's cornered in this derelict basement, but yeah. he finds a way to get to bed. He throws one of the guys off the roof of the building. Yeah. And they try to stab him. They do stab him, but he has like the, uh, the bulletproof vest on, which this knife wouldn't do anything for that unless you had a ceramic stab plate. Another thing, like, I'm thinking is, like, this just goes to show that he is Batman in this film. You the know? body armor. The body armor on Batman. He's always in the dark, creeping around, doesn't do anything during the day. He's got seemingly, like, endless money to have all these cool weapons and things like that. And he's always hunting bad guys and leaving bodies in a pile. And I just, I really like the way this is shot. It's dimly lit. So everywhere, all you, you're seeing the shadows, the corners. Looks and, great. Yeah, and like that. It, he's farther well, away. Now he's up close. That so we're behind him. And the barbed wire. My, yeah. my biggest complaint in this scene is like you would think that um, a long uh, swooping chain around your shoulder would be impractical for sneaking up on somebody. You know, jingle, jingle, jingle. <laughs> yeah. Or the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah. But again, you know, these guys have to look the part. They have to do the thing. Yeah, See, here's awesome. the type of... Um, Batman again. The, yeah, well, the, the side of the building, right? Like the fire escapes. Oh, the yeah, pull, yeah, yeah. pull-down sure. ladders. Just, uh, yeah, really amazing locations. And they, they really... I don't know if they installed the stuff or they just had it there. Like I think it had to be there. It just looks so cool. See, All the stuff looks so cool. See, this is the type of ladder I was envisioning after your... Oh, suggestions, that, your input. That's what I was thinking. Like he, see how he had to reach up and get a hold of the ladder and, and, and come up. See, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yes. Well, of course, we're talking about uh, the screenplay that we're working on and we'll just leave it at that. But yes, exactly. But look at that cool tile hallway. Oh, I love it. That's I love neat. it. When I, when I owned my own home uh, several years ago, I put tile like that in my bathroom. Looked just like that. That little tiny little. Yeah. Like the one inch by one inch. One inch squares. by one inch tile. It was perfect. Awesome. It looked amazing. See, now he finds an, another length of pipe here on the roof. And I think he cracks them and then hits them over the back and throws them over the roof. You can't be a, right across a, the legs. A villain again without a gauntlet, some kind of like a leather gauntlet and you know, studs. This is right obviously a dummy going off. The yeah, roof. that looks terrible. <laughs> Boom! But that played well when it hit the when it hit the car like that. And the way it slumped looked good, but just like his arms in that T pose flying down it. That was that didn't work. That so didn't good. work. But no. the slump looked super good. So that's probably why they kept it in, because it looked real. There's a really good shot of those fire escapes yeah, and it looks the, awesome. the balconies. That's exactly, that's exactly how I envisioned the building that we're writing. It's yes. exactly how I envisioned that building. Yes. Monte See, there it looks pretty cool. He's laying over yeah. there. His blood, blood looks good. pooled on the roof. Ed Lauder again. Jim yep. Gordon coming to see what fucking Batman's doing. Yeah, let's, what I always like about him is that he always looks like he's so pissed. He's so irritated. Does He always kind of sighing and tilting his head and hitching up his belt it just looks like he wants to be doing anything else other than doing this you know, which he, that wears on you if you're a police officer you you get that cynicism he looks like craig t nelson yeah doesn't he he does he love does that, love that guy i love craig t nelson if we uh come across uh, death hunt sometime ed lauder is also in in death hunt another bronson film 
He was also in Young Blood with uh, Rob Lowe and Patrick Swayze, the great hockey movie from the 80s. He was the hockey coach. Okay. Yeah. This scene, this Another scene, scene with him on the phone threatening people. Yeah, this scene is absurd. He just he goes in and he kills this guy's wife, and then he calls him at work, and he's like, hey, asshole, I killed your wife. And then and then we better come home. I killed your fucking wife. And then they just horrible shot of her with the th- I know. throat. And like, dude, we get that you're a bad guy. Look at that. That's a cool shot, though. I, I do the like that. Like that. That's awesome. I like that it shows him running from the sidewalk. He he has a chance. Is he gonna make it there in time? I mean, what? No, because that villain. Look at that, awful. But the villain, he's got such a cool face, and that he looked. That was when he looked the best in this whole film. When when one when he stuck the guy in the neck, and then that he's like squinching his face up, and then that shot right there with him in the window. That's when he looked the most evil in this whole film. Most sinister. And he's on the phone again. Again, and like, what did we say about the phone? It's an excuse not to put two people in the same room. Yeah, exactly. but, but clearly you can't have these guys sit down and, and hash out their differences over a cup of coffee. He's the ringleader. He's doing, I mean, I guess the only thing I can say about this villain, <clears throat> in some of the horrible f- films we've watched, like uh, Megaforce and what was the other one? I can't remember. But oh, like, um, there was three of them. Megaforce was, was really, really bad. And then like Metal Storm. Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sinner. Oh, there, yeah. There was, there was oh. another one. The one with uh, David Carradine was yes. really, really bad. The thing about that, I think with all three of them, if I can remember correctly, is that like the main villains in those films don't do anything. No. They, they stand around in their armor and their suits, and they and they control this. At least this guy, he's got the balls to get out there and fuck with people. Oh, here 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 it is. There's the Browning thirty caliber machine gun. That is a staple from World War II. If you've ever watched something like Saving Private Ryan, that those type of guns feature very prominently in the battle scenes. And he's got two of them. Well, one of them is a different one. It's a German gun. I think it's an MG forty, or I don't think it's the MG forty two. I'll have to look at it, but. That's definitely an American gun there. Like I said, that's the Browning 30 cal. Now, what's that big spring sticking out of the side of it? Uh, that's You You pull that back to to chamber the rounds because it's, it's belt-fed. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. See, that's the handle. So you'd, you'd put it in there, and you'd cock it back, and then it basically you're ready to fire. Oh, okay. Now, there's a big um, open compartment at the bottom. I assume it's for the stand, right, the tripod that you yeah. put it on? Yeah, because they could be mounted like that or, or conceivably... And like a turret and a truck or, or, you know, some type of armored vehicle back then. Which you would, was more likely than just running around with it, right? Like you wouldn't probably carry it around. No, I think what you would do is you would set it up in a spot, fire from that position and take it somewhere else and set it up. I don't really, it's not intended to be fired on the run. I think it's in, it's impractical. It's too heavy to do that, but it looks impressive. Well, that and like, yeah, and that and like, it's, it's, what are you going to hold on to? Right. The barrel's going to get hot. Yeah, you're yeah. just you're holding it with this little box on the end of it, and you're like, Ugh, how do you how are you going to aim it? You're just really just spraying it into the crowd, right? Oh yeah, and he mows them down by the droves, which which I love, I really really do. And here again, we have these sequences that are essentially the same three sequences in the film where he goes to visit this woman in her house, and it's just the same. They 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 have it the exact same way every time. He op- they opens the door and he walks in, and they have some kind of conversation about whatever, and then. I don't even know they're talking. What are they talking about in this scene? You know, you know, I I don't. Let's turn it up. I oh, she wanted to see you one more time. Is she leaving or something? I think so. Yeah, she's she's working for the city, trying to do something. And here's the romance. So, oh, listen music, to that music. The music swells. 
her tasteful love scene. They just dissolve to them in bed later. You still think you don't want to get close to someone? Bronson's buff. Yeah, he, he, he was 63 years old when this movie was made. So, I guess Bronson at this point is just saying like he doesn't, you know, don't get mixed up with a loner like me or a guy like me. I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel, basically. Well, he's, he's saying don't get emotionally attached to me because I'm just not going to do that anymore. Right? Uh, yeah, and that and someone will blow you up. Someone will shoot you or assault you or something horrible will <laughs> <you'll> befall <laughs> some tragedy. If you have Knowing time, me. I'll bring over Death Wish and Death Wish 2 and you can watch you those. You watch those and see what happens because it's not a good Not good thing. things here. Man, we got to watch this movie, though. Um, uh, it's called, what is it called? Crime City? I can't remember what it's called, but in the beginning it starts off with Bronson and Jill Ireland on a speedboat. And they're just bzz, buzzing along and they it's all like sexual and then um something happens and there's just a really it's a really great italian film because he was uh bronson was huge in italy he was huge internationally that doesn't surprise me they loved him so he actually put out a lot of films that now here's straker watching watching them leave he has nothing better to do he doesn't have a criminal empire to run he's just gonna fuck with charles bronson is that is that is that it well Charles Bronson uh, challenged the status quo by showing that he was a tough guy in jail and, and by standing up for himself on the streets. These are just things you don't do. You just willingly accept the fact that you're there to be victimized. And here's the scene where she dies and he retrieves his fucking bazooka. Yes. You know, they're, they're tailing him, but he's going to get his latest package, which is several missiles that's and right. the launcher. That's right. It's, it's actually a, a Laws rocket. And then he has a couple rockets for it as well, mm-hmm. too. So apparently in the 80s, you could get military-grade ori- ordnance if you just had the right catalog. <laughs> Again, you know, they could have done this to Marina Citrus's character, Deanna Troy's character. Punched her in the face and <laughs> sent her down a hill to blow up. Yeah. But in any case, yeah. That's then what we'd it, see it twice, but yeah. Yeah, that's what happens. That's what happens here is uh, because, of course, you know, any kind of fender bender, any kind of T-bone fender bender, the car disintegrates and you blow up. That's Naturally. What that's what happens. Yeah. Good Lord. And then, like, what seems a little impractical that that would result in an explosion, but... Uh, he's completely nonplussed by this whole thing. He's like, ah, shit. He's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> he doesn't... He's just like, no, it doesn't shed a tear. He's like, I had some paperwork in that car, you son of a bitch. He's like, whatever, <laughs> man. Fuck this. Fuck you. No one will ever rent me a car again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, he, he's almost completely in. Oh, look at that macrame plant hanging yeah. on the wall. The nice uh, pastel colored pillows on that small love seat. That's an amazing apartment. It's like one of those really rad, um, like in um, Dress to Kill, that lower, you know, that lower office that he oh, has when you go it. down there off love the, it. the basement apartments. It's exactly what it looks like because it has the brick. Whether it's faux, yeah, it is. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's, goes, a, it's a basement goes, apartment. It's a basement apartment. It's awesome with the brick wall like that. I love that. I think that's so cool too that your entrance is on the street, but it's not visible from the street. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you kind of have to go down the right alcove or behind that that uh, wall there. Oh, I love it. It's cool. It's when, cool. When I sell forty screenplays, I'm going to buy a brownstone like that just so I can have that basement yeah. basement entrance. Like I think that. so. Yeah, I think so. That, that'll see now. There's Bennett. They're they're destroying his taxi service bennett is the 
Ernest Borgnine. Ernest Borgnine type character. Yeah, basically, they just these, this gang has nothing better to do, and they have a sim- seemingly endless resource of explosives and weaponry. They can just fuck with these old people who have done absolutely nothing. And like, here's the thing: this would have worked better, would have played better if they just would have said, "We need to get these old people out of this neighborhood so we could take it over." You know, if they would have given any motive for anything that they were doing. It would have worked. Or even just something to the extent of these are the last holdout, you know, something like that. Yeah, we want to get these people. Or like if they, okay, you know what you do? You just add like one sleazy um, like real estate guy or a millionaire and he's on the phone with Stryker and he's like, did you get those old people out of there yet? You know, I got some more work for you to do after this. And you get the idea that maybe he's just, you know, madman behind the scenes wielding power or using these gangs to clear out, you know, for their... Oh, sure. You know, that would have been way more effective, I think, than just like... Yeah, that is a... Uh, sorry. That is a definite uh, German machine gun. Yeah, that thing's awesome. It looks yeah. like it looks like the Rambo machine gun when he pops out of the water. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that is the MG... Yes, that's an MG-42. That was referred to as the buzzsaw because it fired so fast and it would actually you could actually cut down trees with it and stuff if you're accurate it would just unbelievable rate of fire he's definitely no action hero they throw him here they've got they're roughing him up yeah that's obvious stunt man the dude looks a <laughs> bad wig but hey whatever yeah who are we to judge that guy's still alive the athletic guy with the dreadlocks is still living i thought he i thought he at this point had been killed or something but he i think he makes it i don't even know if he he does get killed. Yeah, we were mistaking him for the guy <clears throat> that gets flung off the roof of the building. No, that guy's very recognizable. I just thought that maybe I thought maybe he had a scene where he got got shot, shot or something. Or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. And now, what is he arrested again? What happened? Yeah, they did. They did something. They they put the. Uh, they're trying to put the screws to him a little bit. For what? I don't. I don't remember. I mean, okay, so the thing is, too, is, like, you have all this urban warfare going on. There's no news. There's no, no like, police presence. It's just, like, an abandoned part of the city. It's like, a, it's like a demilitarized zone. You know what I mean? It's just a wasteland where nothing is... Well, you know, I wouldn't... It wouldn't surprise me at all that early, early policing strategies like that in the 80s would be, we're going to put our resources in areas that are showing that we're being effective. You know, because some of these stuff, we're just... We're just kind of pissing in the wind here. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be probably deemed as like a high priority response unless it was a violent crime. I'm sure yeah. they'd try to get there and do as much as they can. But you're going to put your efforts in, in where you get seeing a progress. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, and, uh, and they had that that scene there really sets up the end of the film where he tells he goes to Vincent Ernest Porgnine. Yeah, they did, they only got one gun. They still the, have one yeah, left. And he yeah. says they got one left. And they show the gross old man foot in this one. It's just like the worst part of the movie is gross old man feet. But uh, uh, Feet that look like the bottom of uh, elephant feet. Yes. <laughs> All calluses and that's just nasty. Oh, my God. But um, and here, and this is the scene where Batman disappears when Jim Gordon's talking to him. And he turns around and he's like, where did he go? I hate when he does that. I know. But um, There's obviously a subway entrance there. Oh, here it is. Oh, I, okay. See right there? That Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And this, I was mistaken. I thought he goes to the mail service for something else, but this time he's. This is the scene where he retrieves his bazooka. They're, and it's funny because he it. says something like, "Won't do us much good unless I can get him in a big group." You know, foreshadowing. Well, then why would you buy it? If or why would you send for it unless you're, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, because yeah, that that's a weird. That's a weird. Yeah, you're right. Because in the end, of course, we know what happens. He he blows. He shoots the guy. You know, in the face with a bazooka, or with blows the out the whole side of the building. Yeah, and then like him and Ed Lauder are just—they're fine. They're unscathed, of course. Their hair isn't even mussed. Well, what's left of Ed Lauder's hair isn't even mussed up. But here's, yeah, he does here, say that, though. Yeah, here's the Rambo scene. Okay, this is that's the mess. That's the that's the Braddock missing in action Rambo scene where he's got the big machine gun, the the bullet. What did you call it? The bullet. Uh, um, they're belt fed. Belt. Yeah, the big bullet belt things. Yep, the belt fed. And this is where he says, um, all I have is a zip gun. Yeah, well, you get one or two with it or something. Yeah. yeah. He's like, well, you can't have the rocket launcher and you can't have the machine gun. And Look you can't at the have profile of that gun. The, the handle's like a two by four. Look at that thing. That's been really imposing. I mean, you have to have hands to hold that thing. Yeah. And, and you have to have an arm because if you shoot that, I mean, it's one of those things where. It, yeah. Boom. Yeah. It's yes. Kinda, He's on the phone again, this guy. Does he ever get off the phone? His phone bill has to be really, really high. <laughs> it's you. Hopefully it's all local call. What Listen, I need you guys to go out and rob some more people. My phone bill is going up a lot. And that's the thing I was talking about. <laughs> that, that's the scene I was talking about where like they could have saved it to the very end of the film if they wanted to. Just a little insert scene of him saying, how did you get, you know what I mean? Oh, I know. Get I love those, those people out of there. How about those avocado green kitchen chairs? Sweet. Definitely. And they're gonna, and that's the thing is like he's letting this guy, this poor neighbor guy who just lost his wife, he's letting him, uh, and look, no, 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 uh, no muzzle discipline either, right? He's just like, nope, he's just right in front of it, just right yeah. in front of anybody. He's letting this guy go out there with a pipe. He's just got a pipe, and he's like, oh shit. And he's looking at him there like, oh boy, I don't have any body armor. Now here they come, the marauding band. You know what? This kind of reminds me of like how the bikers enter the original Dawn of the Dead, except oh yeah, it works so much better in in that movie. Or like um, this also always reminded me of like every which way you can. Oh yeah, the Black Widows with the Black Widows. Yes, I absolutely love it. Everything turns to shit for yeah, those guys. That's so funny. What a funny, great movie though. Do you have that movie? Do you own it? Uh, That'd be it, fun to watch. It might be one I have in storage, and it's possible that I, I missed a few going through both roles. That's but a great movie. That that list is is pretty accurate. Cuckoo's Nest is great. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is okay. Now this is the the, the beginning of the third act. Now or or like I don't know where we're at here. No, this is yeah the end of the middle of the end of the third act here, where where the bikers come. He put the phone call the striker uh, gave. Completely paid off, and now these hundreds of men are coming to siege the city. And and Bronson, in amazing fashion, just mows everybody down. I love that he he comes out. He's atop the balcony, so he's firing downward into him. And I just I like that it shows all these guys skidding and sliding. And you, we're not seeing blood splatter. Now here's the the people are going to start fighting back. I love it. Yeah, here's your forty five, honey. Oh, good. You know, and like, look at this. Look, look at these guys. Cra- they're so crazy looking. Were these extras for a Judas Priest guy? <laughs> look at that hat on that guy. Terrible hats. That's what I'm going to go. I don't know, man. Does, is there even a, is there a grip on that gun? Well, that, yeah, you're not supposed to to hold it by the barrel like that. Yeah, look at that. I think what you normally do is you, you would hold the handle to fire it. And I'm not sure if you would put your other hand on your bicep and, and just sure turn it or some of them i think you would just hold both handles in the back but yeah they're meant to be fired from a fixed position not not mobile yeah you know and 
So this is where the chaos comes, and this is why this movie works so well. You know, even though it's completely absurd. It's over the top. It's silly. It has the most absurd ending, and it, I, I just feel like it's completely out of character for a Death Wish film. This this is the one. Here's a guy. He's cleaning his teeth with a grenade. What could go wrong there? I would have yeah. loved it if he would have accidentally pulled the pin and blown up him. <laughs> that would have been great. Conies. But, like, this this is why this film actually works because of this scene, because it's so chaotic. Because it's a riot, every, essentially. Yeah, because everything goes to shit. But Who but there's, there's no news coverage. There's no nothing. You That's know, right. In an area of blown-out buildings, we have more blown-out buildings. Yeah, yeah. Impressive yeah. fireballs, though. Really like that. Oh, here's hanging out the windows, shooting pistols while driving slow. Well, I'm going to ventilate your whole car here. Sha-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-bum. And the only protection this guy has is the holding that he's holding a box of bullets. That's, that's it. That's right, because that's these were crew based weapons. A guy would fire, the other guy would would load. So yeah, they were they were meant to be fired with you you'd have a loader. He's got a zip gun in <laughs> he's got a zip gun in his belt. And even later on when he's like I say, he's he's they're gonna get into that firefight and he goes, I'm out of rounds. I'll go get some. And he's like, wait, there's like 70 corpses over here. Just take a fucking pistol. Yeah, pick one of theirs. <laughs> get one of them. Look at those guys. Got, they all have machine guns, all of them. Oh, I know. They're well-armed. They're throwing uh, Molotov cocktails. And that car has been in there since the beginning. They set those cars up early. They've kind of been in the background. They're, they're so happy. They're so proud of themselves. We did it. We hit the car. So there, there's a stuntman on fire. Yeah. That's an actual person doing that. Yeah, don't forget that, like... All of this stuff here, all these all these great actors on motorcycles, carrying Molotov cocktails, blowing shit up, explosions, um, look at that, building fires, everything. Just just an, a super entertaining movie. It is. It is. Oh, I love that. You see the That's barrel great, of Wildy come around the corner before you see Bronson. Love it. It's a great shot. And he really was at his peak right here. They don't. I don't know if did they give him any other great action movies sequences like this in four and five is this the last great one that he had in his career uh, well this is definitely the most extended four has some scenes where he definitely gets a lot of people in one location like when he raids the fish factory where they mm. make drugs mm-hmm. um blows up like uh the restaurant with the bomb and the wine bottle and the mm-hmm. radio station he goes in there with the silence doozy so and then the end by the oil derricks in that field he kind of wipes out a lot of them when he pits the two gangs against each other yeah and again you know this movie is just retelling of the classic old western that's probably what appealed to bronson i'd imagine is just one man against the odds the pale rider and you know things like that not that he was in pale rider but you know just sure just things like that and um you know these stuntmen are obviously selling the uh, the practical effects the that particular round would have a ton of foot pounds of energy so they would definitely fly back really really hard oh the machine guns oh no, no the um the wildy, it's, oh, it's a scaled down of the 475 rifle round. So that they would definitely get knocked, sure, sure. knocked silly, mm. knocked cattywampus. Cattywampus, that's a, great, that's a great word. Ass over tea kettle. That guy's got a fire axe. Look at those guys. That, those stuntmen, look at that. They are Man, I hope they got paid extra. Dude, Jesus those, Christ. There's a guy on there, the roof. Look at, there's a guy on the roof with all the smoke coming up and everything. You know he's jumping off into one of those big air mattresses, but my God. Hazard pay. Yeah, where was he staged? Like, Look at that. And then, like, dude, like right after that dude jumped off there, the face of that building just fell off into the fucking street. Look at that. 
that, I mean, that's he could, impressive. He could have been on that. That I mean, what are, you know? And these are details I never noticed when I was a kid watching this film because first time I saw this, I'm 10 years old and in, in Chicago, just eating up every second of it. One of my all-time favorites, and I had this on VHS, and man, I wore this tape out. I watched it a lot too. And yeah, my friend Adam and oof. I we watched this quite a bit. Another gratuitous scene. It just feels weird. This scene, she's like nude, and they're dragging her around. But I guess we we get we get that they're bad guys. Like you don't have to sell me anymore. No, it's you know, oof. He, it's fun. he shot him, and he flew forward. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, these these guys are tumbling. They're bam, boom. Well, he, he shot him from the front, and then he flew over the balcony towards him. I don't know how that those physics worked. Yeah, but, I don't. Uh, I don't think they would that yeah. way. But <laughs> this guy's using some, a Mac Eleven Uzi. A Uzi shoots the cops, kills the cops in this one. Yeah, and I love it how they aim from the waist and the hips, and they're always so spot on accurate. And that thing would go through its magazine like in two seconds. It'd fire so fast, the Uzi. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Ernest Borgnine again. Yeah, he's loving it. Yeah, look at you, you punks. Yeah, blow up my taxi spot. Go to hell. And I think that this was the only um, the only police death, I think, in the film were those two guys. I think so, I don't yeah. think any other cops, they Cop- showed them getting hurt. Yeah, they're on the losing end there. Mm-hmm. Imagine living near this neighborhood and all the shit going on. All the oh, here's smoke. here's the chain gag I was talking about. Oh yeah, this is cool. Wah, bam, 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 bam. That's cool. Oh, and all the guys. <laughs> that's cool. That's a that's a neat little ambush scene there. Yeah, I like it. Just got, oh my god, how much how loud that would be. Oh, point blank. And see, now he did the, what you suggested. They're taking guns off the hoodlums. There and we go. They're spreading them out. There we go. That's what the other guy should have done. Oh, watch this. This is a good one too. This guy's breaking in here. He's got, look at all that. But look at <laughs> all, look at all that um, forward rolling. S- look at the stuffing that guy's got in his uh, jacket. In his jacket, he looks real beefy because you know he's gonna take a fall down the stairs. Yeah. yeah oh yeah! Look, look, you can see you can see like the the flame retardant gel smeared in these people, the actor's hair. But of course, but I mean, look at that! Oh, all yeah. the gel in the hair. That was pretty cool. He's firing on him from behind like a sidewalk railing down under the lower stair level. Well, it's cool about that too is you're, it's a shot in broad daylight. People on fire running out of buildings. I mean, like, dude, it's just so gnarly. I think that here's the guy that gets the knife from the trap. Uh, I think so because he tries to go up. I don't know if it is or not. There's one guy that goes in a window, I think. Maybe it is this guy. Yeah, here it is. Pow. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> he falls Ooh, over. That's cool. I mean, the gag pays off. Now, it that's, does. That's the last of the gags in the film. That's the last one. Because we're coming in on the close here. Coming into the last moment here. Where you got the Because the main guys now are going to be taken off. Because here comes... The zip gun. Here boom. comes the last zip that thing is That thing was nasty, man. I think like an Im- improvised shotgun, more yeah. or less. Yeah. I just really like like how there's all these exterior stairwells and, and narrow sidewalks and lower levels and all these different heights and everything. Just good good practical set pieces for this type of shootout. Still more gadget stuff. I guess I was wrong because a zip gun is considered a gadget, but it's not a sniper rifle, dude. He's ducking behind barrels and like shooting up at the balcony 500 feet away. Yeah, I think unless the guy's in the same room with you, I wouldn't feel too confident about using that zip gun. <laughs> no, dude. 
Oh, man. And he is eagle eye with that thing. He is, man. And coming up here is going to be Ed Lauder's uh, return, which is going to lead us right into the last scene of the film. He does something in here when he shoots that I absolutely hate. It's linked with old westerns. He kind of snaps and points his hand when shooting. That drives me up the wall. Absolutely hate that. He does that? Ed Lauder does. Oh, Ed Lauder does. Yeah. Just like just like this. Pow, pow, pow. Yeah, yeah like like one, two, three. You know, he's kind of sure. No, that, dri- <laughs> that, that just drives me up the wall. I hate that. It's like a squirt gun or something. Well, that my dad would even comment that on old westerns. He's like, "Look at that shit. You'd never hit anything. What are you doing? Painting a house?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh yeah. Alex Winter, Bill and Ted. Look at that awesome shotgun though. That is a great shotgun, prominently used in uh, Terminator Two. Yeah, tactical, like a tactical shotgun or yeah, something. Yeah, Linda Hamilton. That's exactly what that is. That's a sho- uh, shoulder stock that folds over. It's dope, man. Oh, yeah. See him? See him? Like, see him? Yeah, yeah. Just, dude, oh, the worst thing is, is his arm is up like this. He's like dancing. or He's like a <laughs> he's like a ballerina or something. Look at him. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's such a nerd. Look at that Rubik's Cube paint scheme on that building. I didn't I didn't see it. I was too busy looking at Ed Lauder's weirdo dancing. Oh, yeah. They're just gonna, they're gonna take all the rest. It, he just he's in that suit. Charles Bronson looks like a badass, leather on and like appropriate shoes, and he got Lauder in his pressed suit. Yeah, his tie. And his tie. Not even breaking a sweat. Ten thirty in the morning. Bronson's killed ninety eight people already. That's right. He's like, hey, listen, where's a good spot for a breakfast buffet? I'm getting hungry. Yeah, you know one thing I did like about four is like they did lean into his like sort of PTSD from it because the beginning of four opens with that weird dream sequence that he has and he's like got a little shell shock from it or something. Yeah, like yeah, death with, and shit. Yeah, with the um the lady getting mugged in the parking ramp. Yeah, which I love the way that that parking ramp is is filmed. It looks really cool, but there's that part weird, four. There's that weird like gadget that he's trying to like use the chain to open the the, the garage door, which literally, which you can see is not connected to anything. He's just like moving this chain in a spool that's not going anywhere, but the garage door is closing. It's silly. Ooh, wham! She unloaded on him with both barrels of yeah, twelve gauge. She got him. She got him. There, those are those iconic parking, um, parking fire escapes again. Yeah. Yeah, just really cool. And then she with, with, with a broom, with a broom right in the mouth. Yeah, that would knock him back, though. And these guys falling off the damn thing, man. They're just, just falling right Ooh, off. Oh, look Ooh. at that. He got his foot caught in the oh, ladder. Oh, man. Wildy's out. He's got no more rounds for Wildy. Yep, that's that's what happens when you have to make them yourself. But it lasted him all the way to the final confrontation here. So thankfully. he must have made about 50 of those. Yeah. And here he goes. This is where now Stryker is going to follow him up into the, with his nose hairs. Is going to follow him right up here into this apartment where he's going to try to. And that stupid smirk. He has that smirk through most of this movie. He just looks like a childhood bully that you want to just wring his neck. Yeah, he looks like a guy I would have punched or kicked when I was younger. Definitely, definitely. Many, many times. And so we're going to close out the the film here really soon at the final sequence, which is cool. They're going back into Charlie's apartment, which, of course, you know, you definitely would live in after your friend was murdered. Well, um, the rent is paid till the end of the month. That's right. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what his, that's, that's what his friend tells him. Striker coming through the window and Bronson loading up the last of his rounds. Yep, got the old classic snub-nosed revolver. Special, 38 special or whatever, right? I think Lauder in the shoulder. Shoots him a bunch of times, down for the count. Or is he? Or is he? He's going to surprise us all by doing that. Um, he does the thing where he like hits it with his knuckles. He's so proud of himself. Yeah, he's like, body armor, just like you. 
I said, good, now I'm going to shoot you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Another nose hair shot there. It's driving me nuts. I know he needs one of those grooming things, like that little, those little scissors or the Dremel or something. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're supposed to be on film, you think the the costume designer wore hair and makeup would have been like, dude, you got to do something with that. Here it is. Bazooka right to the face. That Boom. Great, what a great, oh, man. What a great face, though. You know, he made a great face. And I love that they show the outside of the building when the whole section of the wall is just it's awesome. knocked out. Look at that gaping. Mo- Look at that. <laughs> it's what, 10 feet across, Rick? It's awesome. Yeah, it's huge. Just this, the big, it's just awesome. Now, and that's supposed to be his bloody remains or whatever. Like yeah, his, his burning, burning corpse. His burning corpse. Um, they're looking down at their handiwork. And here the gang is just relinquishing all control. Like, no more. He's done. We're not doing streets. this anymore. The heck with this. Yeah. I'm surprised it took them that long. Like, they had to lose half their number here. All just getting mowed down. And well, and the men, you know, they the men lost their leader. Or the, the gang lost their leader. So here comes the cavalry. And they only have one helicopter for the film yep. and five cars. Yep. That's all they could spare. And he's like, well, my job here is done. Yeah, I did exactly what you asked me to do. I put some slabs on the morgue. Now I'm going to go home with my PTSD and my my trauma. And this is where we're going to get the this great uh, walkout sequence where he walks off into the sunset like the man with no name. And the live credit roll over this sequence here where you see the cavalry. Fraker, okay. Gavin O'Harely. Striker's a better name for him. I think so. Fraker. Fraker. Punks at car. Punks at car. Rodriguez is the guy's name, yeah. The Kaparov. The Kaparov people. Yep, the Kaparovs are the ones that had him over for dinner. Well, so that was Death Wish 3, and overall, an absurd movie, uh, really, but a good a special gem from our childhoods, something I watched my brother and my dad a million times, and I'll... It's bel- probably been a few years since um since I've watched this. I don't know if I've watched this since I've moved to Janesville. This is one of the things that I try putting in, and my wife will be in the background, and I can tell she's just not interested, so <laughs> usually just doesn't... Yeah, few get, are... Yeah, it does usually just doesn't get to stay on for me. Yeah, but it's but it's a solid movie. I, I think that um, it's absurd, it's it's crazy, but I notice a lot of new things since I've watched it as a kid, and I have a deeper appreciation for it. And yeah, based uh, on characters created by Brian Garfield, who's the original author, author of, of Death Wish. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Check out Death Wish, and um, and one thing too before we head out here is when you're online to get horror merchandise, where do you go? Toeyear.com, friend of the show, childhood friend, lifelong friend of of Rick. Bill creates custom in-house t-shirts, classic universal horror, uh, it, hammer horror films. He has his 20th century monster freak of the week, and he does his monster meatball madness, cigars and stripes barbecue event, does all kinds of local venues. So if you're in the Chicago area and you can see some of his movie displays, stop in, pick up some custom merchandise and check out his website. And we might be, he might be doing the uh, Stephen King uh, Festival as well So in Chicago coming up here. So check out Toa-Ear on Facebook and on Instagram. That's Toa-Ear.com. Uh, check them out. And uh, at that, we'll close out the episode. And uh, So, yeah, that's kind of what we're going to do here. We're going to go through my archive here. And uh, so each week we're going to have something a little different. 
Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll pick and we'll, we'll we'll see what it is. I'll go through this list. It's a it's a big list, so I'm gonna go through it and we'll pick something good. Hey, Sounds thanks good? a lot. Thanks right. for listening. See you next time. See you later.